This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins from my Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Good evening, everyone. I trust you've had a good day today. Amen. Well, welcome to the third day of the Christ the Healer Taster session. And um, we just trust God that he will um, open his word further to our spirits and our minds. Amen. And his power will be present to heal. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for another opportunity to study your word. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Thank you most of all for the great plan of redemption which you planned and sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to consummate. Thank you for your word that brings us a revelation of that plan. Thank you for the great and mighty one, the Holy Spirit, whom you've sent to be our teacher and to be our guide. I make bold to say he will live big in me tonight. He will rise big in me. He will think through my mind. He will speak through my lips. He will act through my deeds. He will anoint me to stand and minister in the office of my call. And we give all praise, honor, and adoration for everything that will be wrought in our midst to that worthy and majestic name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Christ the healer, that's what we're looking at. And um, we started off by talking about the fact that healing is always God's will for the sick. We gave some reasons for that. So first, it's in his redemptive plan. We said second, sickness and disease come from the devil. We said third, God not only provided healing under the old covenant, he has also provided healing under the new covenant. Praise God. We said fourth, Jesus is the will of God in action. And from his words and his actions, he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Came to do the will of the Father. Then we said, number five, because of the Father heart of God. He's a good God. A compassionate Father. And then we said, number six, because healing is the children's bread. And then the seventh reason we gave why we can be absolutely certain that healing is always God's will for us is from the standpoint of the promises of God. He's promised to grant us whatsoever we ask in prayer, believing. Amen. And the Bible says repeatedly, thy faith had made thee whole. So people's faith can make them whole. Amen. Then um, we went ahead yesterday to look at methods whereby healing can be obtained. Methods whereby healing can be obtained. We said basically there are two methods. One is by faith. And when we say by faith, we mean primarily by faith in the word of God, but also faith in his power. Amen. And then secondly, through manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And we also mentioned the fact that each of those two cardinal ways will have subdivisions uh, under them. But those are the basic ways healing can be received. Then we went ahead to talk about the fact that healing could be gradual. It could also be instantaneous. God is in both ways. Amen. Then um, we now looked at different methods, seven different methods, whereby healing can be obtained. We said first... You ask in the name of Jesus. Demand it as your right. We said second, you can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus for your healing. We said third, you can agree with someone in prayer 
Amen. Prayer of agreement does work. We said, forth, the sick can be anointed with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. Amen. And he said, if he have committed sins, he shall be forgiven him. So there's forgiveness in healing. Amen. Well, the verse after that, I didn't mention that yesterday, but I'll say it now. Verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Tied in with that, there's also the place of making power available in prayer. Amen. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also takes hold together with us against our infirmities. Amen. So, all tied in with prayer too. Prayer of faith. And then that's the prayer of supplication. The other one that he spoke of in verse 16. Then um, we also went on to talk about the laying on of hands. The fifth method. The laying on of hands. We said the laying on of hands can be practiced from two perspectives. First, as a point of contact. That's the moment the person starts believing that he receives his healing. And second, from the standpoint of the law of contact and transmission. There is a healing anointing. It's a tangible substance. It's perceptible to the touch. It's a heavenly materiality. It not only drives away sickness, it drives away demons. I got a testimony just today. Uh, someone sent me a Facebook message from India. I was in Mumbai, India just a few weeks ago. And um, there was a child, the child had autism. Uh, a loved one of the child, perhaps it was a parent, was in the service. So he brought a handkerchief. I laid hands on that handkerchief. He was sticking to the child and he told me just like that. Amen. Just like you'll snap your, your finger. God's power is made manifest. Well, let's just wave our hands to Jesus. Amen. And give him the glory. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I got another one from that same trip about sometimes last week. About someone who had had some trouble with his sinuses for 19 years. 19 years. He was on medication every single day. He was in pain and all. He said, but... Since that time, since the time hands were laid on him, he said the pain is gone. The trouble is gone. He's been healed. You see, God's power is still the same. He's still in the healing business. Praise God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Amen. But why do we say some of those testimonies? Testimonies can't give you faith. The only thing that gives faith is God's word. But testimonies can inspire our faith. You know, sometimes people quote Romans 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they say, well, we should overcome the devil with testimonies. No, that's not what he's saying. Actually, with the logos of God that was on their lips, that's what he's saying. With the word of God that they spoke out, their confession, that's what it, it's talking about. Of course, is it okay to testify? Certainly. Amen. Confession is affirming what you believe. It's testifying to what you know. It's witnessing for the truth you've embraced. But you see, testimonies do inspire our faith. Praise God. Then we said number six, through the gifts of healings. One of the ways the Holy Ghost, one of the nine different ways the Holy Ghost manifests himself. Then we also mentioned the fact that there's a place of ministry gifts. And um, sometimes the gifts of healings will go with some ministry offices. And it could be a ministry enablement as a faculty that will be in consistent operation through a minister. Praise the Lord. Uh, we ever heard of the lady, Catherine Kuhlman. She had several gifts of healings walking through her. Now, of course, you know, the way she ministered, she had a brother-in-law, you know, uh, evangelist Parrot, F.W. Parrot. That's who she got it from. You know, when things rub off on people, that's just how it works. You know, I've met people who say, I want to be original. The truth is, none of us is. 
You got it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Paul, James, Jude. <laughs> we all learn from someone. And then the anointing rubs off. One thing is this. Many times there's a generation, they've learned so much of God's word. They're walking in God's power. You know, and then that generation goes on and the next generation starts from scratch again and it takes them so many years to get... No, it shouldn't be like that. God wants uh, a subsequent generation to pick up where the last generation left off and take it to the next level. Amen. So there's gifts of healings. And then we said the seventh, the best method of receiving healing is by knowing and acting on the word of God for ourselves. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Matthew 8, 17. 1 Peter 2.24. If we'll just take the time to meditate on those scriptures, build them into our spirits by thinking upon them, by muttering them to ourselves, by saying them to ourselves, by imagining them, by seeing ourselves well. The time will come that you know 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 that you're healed. And if the devil tries to put sickness on you, you just laugh at him. You just call his bluff. No, you can't. No, you can't. You tell him. Amen. You can just simply thank God for your perfect deliverance. Because it's consummated in Christ. Amen. Well, I want to start off today by talking about recognizing and removing roadblocks to healing. Recognizing and removing roadblocks to healing. Recognizing and removing roadblocks to healing. And um, first one I'm going to talk about, roadblock number one. Now, I'm not saying these things. I'm saying these are things that the devil has said to people. Some of these roadblocks have their basis in tradition. Some have their basis in just unbelief. Some have their basis in misinterpreted scriptures. Some have their basis in superstition. But it's still a roadblock. It's still a hindrance. God wants us to recognize them for what they are. And then he wants us to remove them so that we can walk in that path of healing and health. The first of them we'll be looking at is this fact. Now, I'm putting it in inverted commas because I'm not saying it. It's what some people say. God sends sickness on people. God sends sickness on people. God sends sickness, sickness and disease on people. It's a roadblock. Some people think this. Some people say this. And um, they try to... Uh, they get some of these impressions from scriptures that are misinterpreted. Let's look at Exodus. Exodus 15, Exodus chapter 15, in the 26th verse. This was just after they had crossed the Red Sea and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians from the Lord that healed thee. So people read this and say, you see, God brought sickness upon the Egyptians. God can put sickness on people. And then um, there's some more scriptures, Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy, someone said Deuteronomy is dethrone your enemy. No, it's not. Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy 7, from verse 13 to 15. It says, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. And he will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land uh, and uh, thy corn and thy wine, the, thine oil, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep in the land, which is swear unto thy fathers to give thee. 14 says, Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Even your livestock is not allowed to be barren, not to talk about you. Verse 15, And the Lord will take away from thee 
all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee but will lay them upon them that hate thee you know so people read this and say you see God can put sickness on people you know he said he'll put those things on those who hate you and some people use this to oppress people you better don't hate me God's going to put sickness on you if you do <laughs> he'll bless their hearts well let's look at some more Isaiah Isaiah chapter 45 Isaiah chapter 45 verse 7 says I form the light and create darkness I make peace and create evil I the Lord do all these things my God that's interesting isn't it yeah that he forms the light as well as the darkness he creates good and evil I the Lord I do all these things Micah Micah chapter 1 verse 12 Micah chapter 1 verse 12 you know some people will get to heaven and then they'll meet Micah and they'll ask them did you read my book and then they'll say uh, was it on Amazon which book are you talking about was it you know no it's one of the books of the Bible all scripture is profitable all of it man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God the things that were written at four time were written for our learning so that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope Romans 15 4 first Corinthians 10 11 the things that happened to Israel they happened to them as examples as examples and they are written for our admonition so we ought to learn from the Old Testament but the problem is this don't try to live in the old the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed the Bible is progressive revelation. Amen. Micah chapter 1 verse 12. For the inhabitant of Maroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. Wow. Evil actually came down from the Lord, it says, from the gates of Jerusalem. Let's look at some more. Amos. Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3. Amos 3, verse 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord has not done it? Has any evil happened in Abuja today? This verse seems to say it was God that did it. Interesting, isn't it? And we could multiply them. Like Job. Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, we know everything in the Bible is truly stated. But not everything is necessarily a statement of truth. You know? Because the, what the devil said is also included. So don't just take something out of his context. Ask yourself who said it. For instance, I could get you killed pretty quick. All I have to do is to show you a scripture. Judas went and hanged himself. And I'll show you another one. You go and do likewise. That's in the Bible. And I'll show you a third one. Whatever you do, do it quickly. I got the rope on your neck in a hurry. Isn't it? But it's God's word saying that. It's not. So that's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says for us to study. To show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now that tells me that God's word can be rightly divided. That also tells me that God's word can be wrongly divided. Amen. And if you don't study, you're going to be ashamed. Well, then in 1 Samuel 16, 14, we read how an it says an evil spirit from the Lord, you know, came upon Saul. And then you read those things and you just wonder, my God, what's this? How? I'm the Lord that kills and makes alive. What? How? You know? 
Now, I read something. I read it from the author, Robert Young, Helps and Hints to Bible Interpretation. And then he brought something out, the same Young who wrote the Young's Analytical Concordance, which is recognized in virtually any Bible school or any theological institution or seminary in the world. He's a younger, was a very able Hebrew scholar. Now, this is what he said. He said, in the literal Hebrew, all those places that the verbs were never in the causative sense, never, never in the causative sense, they were always in the permissive sense. God does not do evil. If God does evil, then he, he ought to go to hell. Don't you think so? No, he, but he doesn't do evil. He may permit evil. But you say, why does he permit evil if he's a good God? The reason he does is because man permits evil. Yeah. The Bible says the heavens belong to the Lord. The earth he has given to the sons of men. He gave Adam a free will. Adam chose to sell out. Sold us all out to Satan. He bowed the knee to God's arch enemy and his own arch enemy. He committed high treason. You know, Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death, of obedience unto righteousness. Well, the dude obeyed sin unto death. He obeyed the devil. He bowed the knee to the devil. God had told him, The day you eat of it, you will die. A Cambridge reference edition, and I have uh, a few of them, uh, King James translations the margin there says that the Hebrew says in dying you will die amen Adam died spiritually became separated from God as well as he became a child of the devil and as a result of that Satan came in with his reign of tyranny all of those things were never a part of God's plans they were never a part of God's program isn't it interesting that when the devil is finally eliminated from the earth there won't be sickness anymore when it's eliminated from human contact, there won't be any of those things anymore. Well, you don't have to be a, a genius to know where those things come from. They come from him. So the literal Hebrew in those places was never in the causative sense. God does not do evil. He can't do evil. An evil spirit did not come from the Lord. The Lord doesn't have evil spirits. But this is what happened. Saul disobeyed God. He stepped over into the devil's territory. So, well, as he was in the devil's territory, the devil accommodated him. And God's hands were tied. He couldn't, he couldn't help it because he's a just God. Are you listening to me? It's like this. Let's say it's raining cats and dogs outside. And I tell everybody, well, let's just stay in class. Hailstones are dropping. Just stay in class. You could get hurt if you go out. Now, hailstones aren't dropping. It's not raining outside. I'm just using an illustration. Amen. But let's say... It was raining like that. And I told everybody, just stay right in the class. And um, I turned around to write something on the board. And someone just sneaked out. You know, I wouldn't. And the person is an adult who did not have any problem understanding what I said. Understood it clearly. Understood the consequences of the action. And I said, look, we provided this umbrella here of this building so that everybody can be protected from the hailstones. But please don't go out there. If you go out there, the hailstones are going to get you. And he were to go out there, and he got beaten terribly by the rain, hailstones. He got attacked. He got a cold, he, or maybe got pneumonia. And someone says, well, I gave him pneumonia. Will that be correct? No. It won't be. Now, who created gravity? Who put gravity on the earth? God did. Why did he put gravity? 
Look, if there wasn't gravity, as I tried to walk now, just float in the air, maybe I'll just get to the back there. And as, as we're trying to talk, all of us, as we're trying to sit down, we'll just be floating. Ah, that's why going to the moon could be pretty interesting. So God put gravity here. But what if you were to go to that church gate building, somewhere around here, and get to the very top of it, and jump from there? You know what's going to happen? Except you have a manifestation of the working of miracles, which I don't very much think you will. Oh, the gift of special faith. You're going to come down. And what's, you probably get your bones broken. Or get the life snuffed out of you. Now, and somebody will now come and say, oh, God killed that guy. You know, because God made gravity. No, God, God he didn't kill him. He killed himself. God put gravity there to help him. But he got the same thing God put in place to help us. He got it to work against him. God's hands are tied. He's a just God. Man is a free moral agent. If man wants to do wrong, well, he can. He has the right to. If you want to go to hell, sure, you have a right to. God will defend your right to go to hell. He will. He loves you that much. Yeah. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force help on you. He's a gentleman. Do we get that? So God does not commission evil. However, he will permit it. Why will he permit it? Because man is a free moral agent. See, God had enough robots. He, was, he had enough of them. Hmm? He wanted a set of beings that will have a free will and who will serve him of their volition. That's why he had to put the tree of knowledge of good and evil as well as the tree of life in the garden of Eden so Adam could make a choice. And he made his choice. And somebody said, after Adam sinned, God cursed him. No, he didn't. All that God did is told him the consequence of his action. Who cursed mankind? Adam did. God just told him, look, look because this is now like this the earth is now cursed for your sake this is now like this that is not like that that's it are we clear about that now we know like i said the bible is progressive revelation we don't get the full import of it until we get into the new testament now jesus is god manifested in the flesh if god puts sickness on people like those scriptures seem to make it sound like he does but that's in the king james version like I said, the original, the Bible is in errant, without error, in the original manuscripts. We have a course, Bibliology. You, you will see how those manuscripts are transmitted from one generation to another, from one time to another, and all that. And how we have our Bible today, and how the canon, you know, canonicity and all that, how the canon was established. So in the original scriptures, the Bible is without error, in errant. But people translated it. Amen. Human beings. Praise the Lord. And that's why it's good to have different translations. And that's why it's good to study. And that's why it's good to check up some words. Amen. To get more light. Amen. Amen. God doesn't have sickness. You see, if it's true that God sometimes puts sickness on people, and God was manifested in the flesh in the person of Christ Jesus, at least we will have caught him one time doing it. You remember when he was going to Jerusalem? And those guys in Samaria didn't want him to go because they knew the way he had set his face, it was Jerusalem, it was going. And, you know, they were like, Osu, our people don't marry your people. You know, we are not good people or you are not good people. There was that age-old rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they were going to stop him from passing. And what did Peter and John want to do? This, uh, James and John, the son of Boanerges. You know, the same John that became the apostle of love. What did they want to do? They wanted to call fire down from heaven. 
And what did Jesus tell them? He said, no, you know not all manner of spirit you are off. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save lives. Praise God. In actual fact, I'm weary of any preacher that crushes people. Very weary of him. I don't mess with them. I don't play with them. I don't hang around that stuff. Amen. Jesus told us what manner of spirit that is. You know, because somebody hurts you, you must die. Because somebody hurts you, evil must be falling him. No way. Are there acts of divine judgment in the Bible? There are. In the New Testament, there are. But I once researched this, and I found out in every single instance of it, it was initiated by God, by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't man. And every single instance of it, it was something that had to do with someone standing against God's work. Praise God. Not that somebody hurt you and he must die. Somebody did this to you, you know, suffer not the witch to live. People are quick, quick to say that. And yes, that's in the Bible. But if we want to go there, we may just as well go there. And then I'll get you stoned right now. Because I'll show you where you two should die. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. For instance, if I had to check your shirt now. You know, people will always say, women shouldn't wear trousers. And the Bible says, a woman shouldn't wear trousers. You know, the Bible doesn't say so. What does the Bible say? It says a man shouldn't wear what, that which pertains a woman. A woman shouldn't wear what pertains a man. In that day, the women, they wore trousers. The men, they wore skirts. So say something else. And I'll prove it from scriptures. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to get together in unity. Like the oil that went on Aaron's head to the skirts of his garment. Yeah, they wore garments. Check the high priest. His attire. It was a skirt. Check it. Now, the same person that wants to, and you know, it, the trouser of a woman is cut differently. It's cut differently. The zipper is on the other side. The cut is different. So, what pertains a woman is different from the cut of a man. Besides, there's some countries, go to Alaska. Don't wear trousers. Yeah. Then I'll know that you're a doer of your word. <laughs> then I'll take you seriously. But until then, hush. You know? Yeah. The same place says, actually, you shouldn't wear 50% cotton, 50% polyester. And it says, if you offend in one point, you are guilty of everything. So, let's just leave that thing alone. Hmm? Let's go to the new covenant. We're in the new covenant. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen. Amen. Now, what was God talking about? What was the spirit of that, that, that passage? God was talking against homosexuality and lesbianism. Full stop. That was the essence of what he was saying. A man trying to look like a woman. A woman trying to look like a man. Now, I know I'm being live streamed. You know? Does God love homosexuals? Yeah, Jesus died for them. Does God love lesbians? Jesus died for them. They should come as they are. That's God's grace for you. But the wonderful thing about that grace is it won't leave you as you are. Praise the Lord. Now, so, you, you see my point now? God doesn't send sickness on anybody. For God to make you sick, he will have to steal it from the devil to give you. When Jesus came on the scene, God manifested in the flesh. He never made one person sick. So sickness could not come from God. It doesn't come from God. God doesn't have it. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Acts 10.38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So Satan is the oppressor. Jesus is the healer. Luke 13, 16. Up not this woman, 
being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Now, if sickness comes from heaven, then we could, we will have been hearing about the heavenly flu. Ever heard of that? It's always the Asian flu, the Hong Kong flu. You know, places where eternal life hasn't been so strong. That in itself tells us something. You know, maybe you're trying to pray one day and then God tells you, you know what? I broke my arm, that right arm of righteousness that does valiantly and is in POP now, so I can't help you. Never. Has that ever happened? Never. You know? And um, Angel Michael will say, you know, um, while I was on my way, you know, my stomach started to ache and it was aching so bad and I had a doctor, one of those guys who studied medicine on earth to examine it and then he said it was cancer of my liver. You know, we don't hear of those kind of things in heaven. There's no sickness there. If God has sickness and uses sickness for anything, then we should at least find some of it where he stays. But he doesn't have sickness. He doesn't give sickness. He can't send sickness on anybody. He didn't put that thing on you. He doesn't have it. Well, someone says, God is trying to teach me something. Oh, how long have you had it? Sometimes they'll say 10 years. God must sure be a poor teacher or you're a bad student. If 10 years, you still haven't learned anything. The truth is this. The Holy Ghost is the teacher not sickness and disease. Is that clear? So does God send sickness on anybody? He doesn't. He doesn't have it, and he can't send it. Amen. Well, second roadblock. We need to recognize these roadblocks and remove them. The second one is this. My healing may not be God's will. Now, am I saying this? I'm not. I'm not saying any of these. I'm just saying these are some things some people say. My healing may not be God's will. That's why I'm putting it in inverted commas. Put inverted commas in your notes too. You know, in case somebody sees your notes and says, wow. So, is that what they are teaching you in Rema? No, that's not. My healing may not be God's will. That's another thing some people say. That their healing may not be God's will. There was this man, he was a preacher of the gospel. He had a condition in his body. He had been seeking the Lord about it. And one day he had a vision. A being appeared in his, in his room. The bean was in white. Before I could look at the bean's face, the bean said, it's not my will to heal you, and disappeared. So the man resigned and said, well, I had a supernatural experience. God spoke to me that it is not his will to heal me. Hmm. Now, could that have been God? Will God tell us something in his word and tell us something different by his spirit? No, he couldn't. First John 5, 7 says, the spirit and the word agree. The father, the word, the spirit. The three are in agreement as one. Amen. Healing is always the will of God. What would you do if that same person had said, well, look, it's not my will to save your brother. Say, so what would you do? Oh, he said, of course, I'll know that's the devil. So what would you do is the devil? Because the Bible says for this purpose, you know, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not slack concerning his promises, so men count slackness. He is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9, John 3.16, 1 Timothy 2.4, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So, that shows us that it's God's will for everybody to be saved. But the same redemptive work that provided the new birth 
also provided healing. So healing is always the will of God. There are people that pray and they think they must insert in every prayer, oh God, do this if it be thy will. If it's your will. If it's your will. If it's your will. God, if it's your will. Now, praying to God that he should do something if it is his will. Concerning something he has already revealed his will in his word. is actually us saying, God, we know you're a liar. You said it is your will, but you might just have been lying about it. It just, it, it may not really be your will. It may not really be your will. That's what we're saying. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely, not maybe so. Not we are trying to think so. Not we want to assume so. Surely, certainly, definitely, he hath borne our griefs. And that's literally sicknesses or diseases. And carried our sorrows. And that's literally pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. Why will God have brought the punishment that brought us shalom, wholeness, and laid it on Jesus if he didn't want us to have shalom? Why will God have laid our sicknesses on Jesus if he still wanted us to bear them? Then he must be schizophrenic. But he's not. He's a good God. And healing is always the will of God for us. All the time. Well, let's look at, because we spent four sessions examining that one point. I don't need to belabor it, right? Healing is always God's will. So you don't need to pray, oh God, heal me if it be thy will. It is his will. So just demand your healing because it is his will. Praise God. And you don't need to vacillate about it. You don't need to wonder about it. You don't need to question it. Healing is God's will for you. Well, third roadblock has to do with one man by the name Hezekiah. In Isaiah chapter 38, Isaiah chapter 38, we read the story of Hezekiah. It's also in 2 Kings 20. Isaiah 38. From verse 1 to 4. It says, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to, toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Ezekiah wept sore. Verse 4. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying, let's look at 5. Go and say to Ezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. And it happened. He had 15 more years. Now someone said, God changed his mind. No, he didn't change his mind. God's will was always long life. The position that Ezekiah was he was in the place where, based on the laws that he had set in motion, he was going to die at that time. Well, the fellow repented and repositioned himself to the place where he could get that which was God's best, that which God wanted to do in the first place. So God said, all right, since you made the adjustment, you got 15 more years. Now, if we continue reading, we'll, we read how, um, you know, there was the sign of the dial going back. It's believed that that was about 40 minutes. 
the earth lost a day in its, in its uh, rotation. It lost a day. It's believed 23 hours, 20 minutes was lost in Joshua's time. When Joshua said, sun, stand out still upon Gibeon, moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the other 40 minutes was here. He said 10 degrees. Well, if you check some geography, you know 15 degrees is actually 60 minutes. So 10 degrees is 40 minutes. So he went back by 40 minutes. Now, um, God now told Isaiah to tell him to put a lump of figs. He had something, he had a carbuncle. A carbuncle was a boil, very painful kind of boil on his neck. And God told Isaiah, you, if you read the rest of the chapter, you see the story, to tell him to put that carbuncle on his neck where the boil was. Let's just look at it. Verse um, 15. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So will thou recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace, I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind my back, behind thy back. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They shall go down into the pit. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father of thy children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore will I sing my songs to the string instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Now look at verse 21. You see the context of that. He was praising God for his healing. He now said, for Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. Ezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So what was that? Did that lump of figs have medicinal value? I checked. I researched it. It didn't. It didn't. Then what was it for? What was all that about? You know, sometimes there are times when God tells someone to do something as an act of obedience. Like going to River Jordan seven times. Taking a bath in Jordan seven times. You know, if River Jordan has any healing abilities, we can start River Jordan Healing Association. Don't you think so? We just go to Jordan, take some of his water, and put some of it in a swimming pool somewhere. And then put signboard, print cards, go on Facebook. Jordan Healing Association Ministries. Just come inside this swimming pool. <laughs> no. No. There was nothing medicinal about Jordan. But this was the, the thing. God told Elisha to tell Naaman to dip in Jordan seven times. Now, he didn't want to do it initially. Before his servant said, if he had told you to do something difficult, you'll have done it, right? He had said you should do this. Do it first. And I said, all right. He did it. And he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, anointed a man's eyes, told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, the man could have said, no, I won't go to Siloam. I'll go to Bethesda. You know, an angel goes to that water and troubles it. I'll use that water instead. Will he have been healed? He wouldn't have. There are times when, as an act of obedience, and as an act of our faith, God may tell us to do something for our healing. Not to earn it, but as an expression of our faith. I've had this happen to me a, a number of times. I'm thinking of one particular instance. There was this guy, he had ulcer. 
He was in the healing line. I was going to lay hands on him. And then the Lord said to me to hit him in the tummy. Yeah. Well, you better be sure it's the Lord. So I explained. And I asked him, will it be okay if I do what God told me to do? He said, I should go ahead. I did. You know what happened? I saw him. He drove me like four years after that incident or a little more than that. And then he got to talking about that day and about that instance. And he said his ulcer left the day I hit him in the tummy. Now, let me tell you something. Hitting people in the tummy doesn't cure ulcer. You could just try it. Hit yourself or hit anybody. It, it will add to their ulcer. But you know, sometimes the Spirit of God may have us do something as an act of our faith. There was one camp meeting. This man had very coarse veins. He came. Brother Hagin just felt inspired by the Holy Ghost. He didn't even know he had that. He told the man to run down. As the man ran down, the thing dissolved. He was healed. So there are times God could have us to do something as an act of our faith. And as we obey him, doing what he's told us to do, then results are forthcoming. Amen. So that's the same thing about this Hezekiah using this poultice thing. It was just as, as an act of obedience. Not that there was something about it. God had said he would recover. God had said he would have 15 more years. So God now said, put this on it. Whatever reason he said it. And the last time I checked, I'm not God. Neither are you. Do we always know why he says some things and he does some things the way he does them? I don't. But thank God he's God. Oh, I'm so glad he's God. <laughs> and you are not God. <laughs> Aren't you glad? And I'm not God. <laughs> and I'm not going to try to play God. I can't figure it out. That noodle that sits on top, on top of your shoulders. Can't figure it all out. But thank God he's God. Amen. So, I, I believe that's clear to us. Ezekiel doing that wasn't to heal him in the sense of it having medicinal value. No, I researched it. And I can tell you that for a fact. There was no medicinal value in that stuff. It was as an act of faith and obedience. And as he obeyed, releasing his faith, his healing came. Just like jo um, uh, uh, Naaman dipped in River Jordan seven times and his flesh was restored, is the same thing. Praise God. Well, let's look at a fourth roadblock. Second, Timothy. Third is Hezekiah used a poultice. Hezekiah used a poultice. Hezekiah used a poultice. Well, if you can't see the board, P-O-U-L-T-I-C-E. It's a roadblock to some people. They say, no, healing is not true. Ah, the guy had to use this thing. You know, that's how those things work. No, no, no. There was nothing medicinal about that. It was just as an act of faith. Poultice, P-O-U-L-T-I-C-E. P-O-U-L-T-I-C-E. Poultice. Amen. Well, let's look at the fourth one. Second Timothy. This is in the New Testament. You know, some people seem to look for every reason why healing, why they shouldn't be healed. Well, thank God I'm not one of them. <laughs> they seem to look for everything that's against them, both the real and the imaginary. I'm not one of such. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. It says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Militum sick. 
Now, some people read that and say, look, Paul, the great man of God that wrote half the New Testament, he left somebody. Trophimus was one of his, his disciples, well, one of the disciples of the Lord, who was one of his helpers. He left him at Militum. He left him there sick. If healing is for everybody, Paul wouldn't have left him sick. What does that mean? That Paul left the guy at Militum sick. Yeah. Just like Jesus left many people in Nazareth sick. He did. Mark 6 verse 5. And Jesus could there do no mighty work. Except that he laid hands on a few sickly folks. Who had minor ailments and he healed them. Verse 6 says. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And went right about their cities and villages teaching. Praise God. You see healing is an individual proposition. Why did Paul leave that guy at Militum sick? I don't know. I don't. There could be different reasons. Number one, he might have laid hands on him and maybe he was recovering. But by the time Paul was leaving, the recovery was just starting. That's an option. Maybe Trophimus himself was standing in faith, but his healing was not yet fully manifested by the time Paul was leaving. That's another possibility. We don't know why, but this we do know, that healing is an individual proposition is an individual proposition the bible never said the just shall live by his leader's faith never said the just shall live by his pastor's faith never said the just shall live by the minister's faith said the just shall live by his own faith habakkuk 2 4 romans 1 17 hebrews 10 38 galatians 3 11 the just shall live by faith so the way we receive from God is with our own faith. Is it possible that Trophimus did not make his faith connection? Possible. Very possible. Is it possible there were some other reasons why his faith was in the place where it wasn't working? Possible. But that Paul left somebody somewhere sick, what does that mean? Jesus. You know, Jesus was in Jerusalem, right? He was in his earth walk. Judea, Galilee, Nazareth. He was in all those places. And um, just 10 days after, uh, it, some days after Jesus had just gone to heaven, you know, the day of Pentecost was 40 day, 50 days after the Passover. So Jesus was then 40 days and nights. Then 10 days after that was Pentecost. So just some days after that, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And there was the lame man by the beautiful gate. Jesus passed that gate many times, but that lame man was still there. Acts 5.12, they brought the sick in Jerusalem on beds and couches that the shadow of Peter passing might overshadow them. If Jesus had healed every single sick person in Jerusalem, where would they have gotten those, other, those guys from? And remember, the other guy by the gate beautiful was almost 40 years old, and he used to come to that gate daily. And Jesus, his earth ministry was about three and a half years. So Jesus must have passed by that place. At least we know he was there two times. He chased the, the money changers out of the temple two different times. So he was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. Why didn't Jesus heal him? I don't know. Healing was God's will for him. If he wasn't healed, he didn't receive his healing. Do we always know why people don't receive their healing? We don't. But this we always know. It is always God's will. For the sick to be healed. If somebody did not receive, they did not receive. The failure was never on God's side. 
It was on man's side. So because Paul left somebody somewhere sick, there could be so many reasons for that. That doesn't mean I'm going to be left sick. And that doesn't mean I should be sick. Last time I checked, I don't think your name is Trophimus. And even if your name is Trophimus, you don't have to be sick. Are we clear about that? Paul, he left Trophimus at Militum sick. We don't know what he did. Trophimus might have been getting better. Trophimus might have released his faith for his healing. You say, but why didn't Paul heal him? No, no, it's God who is the healer. And God has already healed all of us 2,000 years ago. So, if Trophimus did not receive his healing, he's the one that didn't make his connection. Are we clear about that? Well, I'm told you guys are doing a party. Am I correct? So, because of that, I'm told that I should just go ahead. So I was told. Am I correct? Okay. So, Paul left that guy at Militum sick. There could have been so many reasons. That doesn't mean I should be sick. And it doesn't mean you should be sick. For instance, Epaphroditus was sick and he was near death because he didn't take good care of his body. We'll look at that today. You know? Does that mean that healing is not God's will? It doesn't. Healing is God's will. But we are each responsible for what we experience in God's provisions. Are we clear about that? Okay, so we said roadblock number one, God sends sickness on people. We said that's a lie. He doesn't. We said number two, my healing may not be God's will. We said that's a lie. It's not true. Healing is always God's will for the sick. Number three, Hezekiah used the poultice. And so people want to pitch their tents there and say, no, divine healing is not real. You know, it's all about drugs and herbs. You know? No. Hezekiah using a poultice. That was just as an act of his faith. That's all it was. Like Naaman dipping in Jordan seven times. Then Erastus abode at Corinth. Trophimus, have I left at Militum sick? 2 Timothy 4.20. That doesn't mean you should be sick. Amen. Why was Trophimus sick? I don't know. Why did Paul have to leave him there sick? We are not told. That also tells us that some believers can be sick if they want to be. It's a free world. Now, it's possible he might have taken a faith stand for his healing and he was beginning to recover. But maybe he just wasn't yet fully recovered. It's possible. We don't know. But that doesn't negate 1 Peter 2.24. That doesn't negate Romans 8.11. That doesn't negate Matthew 8.17. That doesn't negate Acts 10.38. Healing is always God's will for the sick. Now, we're going to look at one very popular one. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Have you heard that before? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. That's roadblock number five. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And so people, you know, they try to brag on it, that their own sickness is their thorn in the flesh. And since Paul had a thorn in the flesh, they too are having a thorn in the flesh. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Let's find out what it was. Second Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 1. It is not expedient for me to, for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 12, I'm in verse 2 now. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. 
such an one caught up to the third heaven. So we know there are three heavens. This is where paradise is. Paradise wasn't always here, but it's here now. Verse 3. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. That tells me that your spirit looks like your body a great deal. That's why I couldn't tell whether it was in his body or was out of it. Verse 4. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I will desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, people have used this scripture to bind themselves. They said Paul had a thorn in the flesh, you know? And it's like, this is my own thorn in the flesh. One of the first things I like to ask them is, how many visions have they had? How many revelations have they had? How many unspeakable things do they know? How many times have they had experiences not lawful for a man to utter? So what makes them think they also have a thorn in the flesh? Besides, who said a thorn in the flesh is sickness? The word here, messenger, is the Greek word angelus. It means a literal being, a messenger of the devil. Not a messenger of God, not an angel from heaven. Amen. The thorn in the flesh was a demon spirit that went everywhere Paul went and stirred up strife for him. Paul was heavily persecuted. And Paul couldn't get rid of that thorn in the flesh. You know why? Because the devil is here. He has a right to be here. He will be here until Adam's lease runs out. Now, why did he have that thorn in the flesh? Lest he should be exalted above measure. Lest, you see, there was a revelation that Paul had. The revelation of the finished work of redemption. The revelation of righteousness. The devil hated that message and he still hates it. And he knew with what this guy has, my God, I'd better shut his mouth. If he gets this truth out, ooh, I'm in a mess. I'm in trouble. So everywhere he'll go, he'll try to shut him up. He'll try to hinder him from speaking. And then he had people who were his children. Some of them possessed by demons. Some of them, not necessarily, but just yielded to the devil because they are children of the devil. Some of them even born again, but they are in the flesh. They walk in the flesh. So they'll yield to the devil too sometimes. And the devil just used that thing to stir up strife for Paul to hinder the message he had from going out. That's what it was. Let's see. When Paul talked about the things he suffered, let's see, you know, how many times he had cancer. Let's find out. How many times he had 
um, hypertension and heart disease. Let's just see. This thorn, let's have an idea of what it was. The previous chapter, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians 11, if we go to verse 21, it said, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool and more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. You know, maybe Jesus received his only once. Paul got his own five times. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, that's the worst of them, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, knoweth, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desires to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. You know, sometimes he who fights and runs away will live to fight another day. You know that. Paul was smart. You know, there was a time they were going to kill Jesus and he just walked in their midst. You know that. There was another time they were going to kill Jesus and he hid in their midst. Did you know that? Go read the Gospel of John. There was a time he hid. Yes, the son of, son of God. He hid himself. You know, remember when Herod wanted to kill him as a baby? You know, you know God could protect him. But what did God say? He said they should go to Egypt. And then they stayed in Egypt until that Herod died. Then he said, now they can come back. So you must know, that's why it's important to be led by the Spirit of God. Do I believe in divine protection? I do. But I also believe in divine guidance. <laughs> Amen. And in divine wisdom too. They were going to kill Paul. They had to throw him inside a basket through the wall. Now, there are two kinds of sufferings. There are some things Jesus suffered as our substitute. The things he suffered as our substitute, we don't need to suffer them. What are those things? Spiritual death, sickness and disease, poverty. But there are some other things Jesus suffered as our example. The things he suffered as our example, will we suffer them? Big time. The Bible says those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. For instance, if you believe in divine healing, you just might be looking for trouble in some quarters. Talking in tongues, oh, you, you, I mean, you're just looking for trouble in some quarters. You live for God, they'll tell you, it's come again. You know, they've come, it's come again. They will ridicule you, they will deride you. Yes, are we going to suffer those things? Certainly. I like what one preacher said. He said, if you and the devil never had a, have a head-on collision, then you're going in the same direction. You understand? 
So there are some things we will suffer because of our faith, because of our commitment to the Lord. But there are some other things we shouldn't suffer them because Jesus suffered them in our stead. Are you listening? Now, this even expression, turn in the flesh, are there other places that expression was used in the Bible? Yes. And you know, the Bible is a complete revelation. It's one book. It's one discourse. It's one author, the Holy Ghost. If we see other places where this expression, thorn in the flesh, was used, it might give us an understanding of what this thorn in the flesh might be. Let's go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33. Thorn in the flesh. Numbers chapter 33. Numbers 33. Verse 55. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those we, which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Do you see that? God said, if, if they don't drive out those Canaanites, you know, Amorites, Hittites, Hivites, them sites and ites, if they don't drive them all out, that those folks will be thorns in their sides, pricks in their sides. Is that not the same expression? Okay, let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. Are there other places it was used? Let's go to Judges, 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 Chapter Two. From verse 2 it says, And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides. You see it again. And their gods shall be a snare unto you. And then we see the same thing in Joshua. Joshua. Same thing, same thing. If you don't drive them all out, there are going to be thorns in your sides, pricks in your eyes. Joshua 23, verse 13. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you. You see that? And scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord thy God hath given you. Now, who are the people that were the thorns in their sides, pricks in their sides, thorns in their, in their eyes, and so on? People. People. People who were in people of the covenant. The people they were to dispossess of the land. And if they didn't dispossess them of the land and start learning those people's ways, they are going to be thorns in their sides. So, thorn in the side, in the flesh, was never sickness. 
Was it sickness here? Yeah? It wasn't. It wasn't. And God is consistent. The way this expression was used, we saw it in Numbers, we saw it in Joshua, we saw it in Judges, and we saw it in 2 Corinthians 12. It's the same thing. It was never sickness. There's a place in Galatians where Paul said, you know how large a letter I've written to you. He said that my infirmity, which was in my flesh, you know, you knew. And someone read that and said, you see, Paul had to write a large letter because he couldn't see very well. Ah, ah. You know, because he said, you, you, you could have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Look, that's a figure of speech. That's like saying, wow, you, you cared for me so much that you could have given me your legs to work with. Does that mean my legs are bad? No. 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 Listen, could Paul have been a sick man? Impossible. How many people will they beat with 39 stripes five times, with rods three times, will be in debt often? You know, will suffer all that he suffered and will be sickly people. Shipwrecked several times. How many people? Remember when in Acts 28, he got to the island of Melita? You know, and eventually they went to bring the sick. If, as tradition tells us, that he had pus, he had some trouble with his eyes, and pus was coming out of his eyes, would those heathen people have gone to bring the sick? I think not. They would have said, physician, heal thyself. This is your pus. It can get on me. My hole is just small. This is your hole. It looks like it's big. But they went to bring the sick. And they were heathen people who didn't know him. Who thought that it was someone that vengeance was going to, nemesis was going to catch up with him by all means? Do we see that? So, the idea that Paul was sick is not possible. A man they stoned, I'm talking about professional stoners, experts, they stoned. When they stoned him, left him for dead, the brethren came and gathered around him. And the guy just picked up his body and dusted and went back to the same place. Fearless man bold man couldn't have been a sick man or a sickly man for that matter the thorn in the flesh was in sickness was in sickness amen can we see that so every place the expression thorn in the flesh was used it was used in a certain way every place will god be so inconsistent and he will now use it in another way and i'm not to mean another thing all of a sudden and he'll just change the rules at the 11th hour. No, God is not like that. No, men are like that, not God. Some men, but not God. And the Bible tells us that it was a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, lest he should be exalted above measure. Now, he had a revelation. That revelation caused him to go above the mark. That revelation of the finished work of redemption, of righteousness, of the authority of the believer, of who you are in Christ. My God, the devil hates it. Hates it bad. Because he knows, he knows what it will do to him. So what did he do? Everywhere Paul went, he would stir up strife for Paul. And Paul besought the Lord three times. And the Lord said, look, my grace is sufficient for thee. I can't remove the devil from the earth. Until Adam's lease runs out, he has a right to be here. But this is the deal. With my grace... You can rise above the buffetings of Satan. And he did. He did. Because at the end of his ministry, he was able to say, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith.
I've finished my course. Amen. He finished his course. Finished his course. If you read in the last chapter in the book of Acts, Acts 28, we'll see how Paul for two years preached in his own hired house. No man forbidding him. Yeah. So there was a time they weren't on his case anymore. When he got to Rome, at least that place tells us of that time. So, a thorn in the flesh is not sickness and disease. Tell your neighbor, you don't have a thorn in the flesh called sickness and disease. I tell him, me too, I don't have any thorn in the flesh as sickness and disease. Tell somebody else, sickness is not thorn in the flesh. Sickness is of the devil. And God doesn't want us with the devil's stuff. Amen. So, that was roadblock number five. Number six. Sixth roadblock. I'm suffering for the glory of God. Have you heard that before? Now, that's not true. Put it in inverted commas, please. I'm suffering for the glory of God. Number six. I'm suffering for the glory of God. Let's go to John. John chapter nine. We are recognizing and removing roadblocks to divine healing. That's what we're looking at. We want to recognize these roadblocks and get them out of the way. John chapter 9, from verse 1 through to 7. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That's how verse 3 ends. Then verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had thought spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Now, people read this place, especially that third verse, the second and third, and his disciples asked him, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And then verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither had this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. People read that and say, you see now, you see now, the man was born blind so that God could heal him. Now, let me tell you ahead of time, if God is that kind of a God, I'd rather go to hell than serve him. Gladly. You made a man sick. You made him blind. Just because you wanted to prove you have power. You robbed him of his childhood. You robbed him of his teenage days. You robbed him of everything. Just because you wanted to flex muscle. You are mean if he's that kind of a God. And we know God is not mean. We know he's a good God. We know he's a loving father. Now, first thing we notice there is that religion is daft. A man was born blind. The disciples asked, who did sin? Was he the one that sinned or experienced? Ah, ah, when did he sin? He was born blind. Was he in the womb? Ah, when was he sinning now? He was born blind. See, religion doesn't think, you know? So, it's like they asked, who, who sinned that he was born blind? Now, who said somebody has to sin for somebody to be sick? Who said so? You don't have to sin to be sick. You see, sickness is the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother's sin. Amen. Now, can sin also, your own wrongdoing, open the door to sickness in your life? It can. In John 5, 
14. Jesus said to one man, Sin no more, lest the worst thing come on thee. Well, you tell me that was before redemption. I'm glad you did. James 5, 14 and 15. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with all the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith to save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Sin can open the door to sickness. It can. It can. Now, is it God punishing you? No. You see, the Bible says holding faith and a good conscience, which some haven't put away concerning faith have made a shipwreck. First Timothy 1.19. If you stop keeping a good conscience, if you're not living right, you know, 1 John 3.20 20 and 21 says if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and we're all things. If our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. The only time we will have confidence towards God is when our hearts are in condemning us. And if you are not living right, your heart will condemn you is a fact. Now, does the Holy Spirit condemn you if you sin as a Christian? He doesn't. What condemns you? Your own conscience, the voice of your spirit, and rightly so. If you can do wrong and your conscience not hurt you about it, you're in trouble. Big one. Huge trouble. You need help. Big time. Amen. So there's that inward monitor God has put in all of us. So, this man, why was he born blind? Jesus didn't tell us why he was born blind. But Jesus told us why he wasn't born blind. Look at this. And his disciples said unto him, Master, who did sin that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, because of Adam's sin, the devil has a right to be here. Isn't it? So you don't have to sin to be sick. You just have to be in this world long enough where the devil is God. He will do his best to try to put sickness on you. And you also have a right to forbid him from doing so. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus answered, Neither had this man seen nor experienced, colon, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. That's how it reads. Now, I put it to you that in the original text, the textus receptus of the Greek, of the New Testament, it wasn't punctuated. Yeah. It wasn't. It was the translators that punctuated it where they felt it should be punctuated. And in some of those places, they didn't quite get it right. I'll give one example. Remember the thief on the cross? You know? Where Jesus is reported to have said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus wasn't in paradise that day. He was in hell that day. He wasn't in paradise until about three days after. When he led captivity captive. You know? So, but, 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 but why does he read like that? It's a punctuation thing too. Look at this. I know this is not an English class. But just look at this. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Verily, I say unto you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Be with me in paradise. Now, if I put a comma here, very, verily I say unto you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Means I'll be in paradise today and you'll be there. But look at this. Let me remove this comma here and put it here. Verily I say unto you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, this agrees with the rest of the Bible. So this is bound to be the, what is correct. In the same token, Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents. 
Full stop. That's the answer. Who did sin? This man no experience. I was born blind. Neither hath he sinned nor experienced. Full stop. Then another sentence. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must walk the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man shall walk. Is that clear? Yeah. God did not make him sick to heal him. If he did, he's mean. He's mean. And God is not mean. We know he's not. So it's a matter of simple punctuation from the original translation. Now, even if you have a problem with that and you say, uh, I don't quite see that. I want to ask you, when, was the, when were the works of God made manifest in him? Was it when he was blind or when he got healed? Eh. So if you two are suffering for the glory of God, get healed. Then the works of God will be made manifest in you. Get healed too. You know, let's leave all the Turenche alone. You get healed. When you get healed, then the works of God are manifest in you. Is that clear? Let's look at another one in John 11. John 11. About Lazarus. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, of the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. You notice that he stayed two days where he was. By the time he got where Lazarus was, Lazarus has been dead four days. Which meant that if he had left immediately, Lazarus would have still been dead two days. If we can raise two days cadaver, we may just as well make it four days cadaver. Before somebody will say, really, he just took Valium 10 and took an overdose. So he really wasn't dead. He was just sleeping. Let it be established he was dead. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen. So, well, since I'm going to raise him, I may just as well raise him and let him be dead, dead, dead. Amen. Let the body have decayed. Amen. Praise God. No use rushing. If I rush there, he will be dead two days. If I wait some more, it will be four days. So, let more people know he's dead and let it be confirmed he's really dead. Not that he went on a long sleep. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late besought to stone thee. And goest thou theta again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. You know, he's resting. We'll finish resting. 13. How did Jesus speak of his death? But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. 14. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, I check this too. This is not how it reads in the Greek. The Greek doesn't say Lazarus is dead. The Greek says Lazarus died. 
Is there a difference? There is. If I say something is dead, I mean finito. Case closed, it's dead. It don't climb it don't kaput, no more. Kick bucket. Case closed. It's dead. If I say he died, and that may be still be a comma after. He died, but you know, he's dead means that's the end. The Greek actually says he died. Just said to mention that to us. Verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, bless his heart, which is called Didymus. Didymus means a twin. Maybe it was the Tyre or the Kende, I don't know. Unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, this is the question. You know, Jesus had said the sickness is not unto death, isn't it? But for the glory of God. You know, it looked like what Jesus said didn't happen, isn't it? He said it's not unto death, but the guy died. Wow, what was that? Now, remember when Jesus got by Lazarus' grave, and he said they should roll away the stone. In verse 40, he said to Mary, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then he told them, roll away the stone. Then he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me always. And that thou hast heard me. When did he pray that God heard him? When he said, this sickness is not unto death. See, Jesus maintained his confession. When he said it that time, he meant it. He believed it. It looked like what he said didn't happen and things got worse. But he stood by what he said. He stood by what he said. When I said it that time, I meant it. Amen. I don't need to start praying it now. I already said it. So he just told the dude, come out of here. Come out. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot. You know, said to them, lose him and let him go. But this is the point. When was the glory of God seen? Was it when Lazarus was dead or when he was healed? When he was healed. So if you too, you are suffering for the glory of God, get healed. Then we will see the glory of God. Was the glory of God seen in the sickness? It wasn't. The glory of God was seen in the healing. Amen. Amen. The glory of God was seen in the healing. So there's no such thing as, I'm sick for the glory of God. You are not. You are not. It's when you get healed that God gets glory. God is never glorified in sickness. Never. But he's glorified in healing. So if you want your sickness to be to the glory of God, then get healed. It's the healing that brings God glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Question, can a body wasted away with cancer bring God glory? A body wasted away with paralysis, how much glory does God get out of that? No. God is glorified in the healing. God is glorified in the healing. He's a healing God. So we looked at six roadblocks. Let's look at the seventh one and the last one we're looking at for the course, for the, um, this course. Hebrews chapter 12. Seventh roadblock that we need to recognize and remove is that sickness is God's chastening. Have you heard that before? 
sickness is God's chastening. You know, God is chastising me with this sickness. Sickness is God's way of chastening me, chastising me. That's what some people think. Is that true? Nehi. It's not true. It's a lie. Hebrews 12, from verse 5. Hebrews 12, from verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now, some people read some parts of that place, and they say that whom God loves, he chasteneth, and that their sickness is God chastening them, you know? He's chastening them, or maybe he's, he's correcting them. Now, what is so wonderful about God's word is that it's complete. We notice that after he talked about the Lord chastening whom he loves, he began to talk about how we have had fathers of our flesh and how they chastened us. So it was likening how our fathers after the flesh chastened us with how God, our, the father of spirits, our spiritual father, how he chastens us, right? Anybody here that the way you chasten your child is to break his leg? Anybody like that? That the way you chasten your child is that you tell the teacher, this boy... I've been telling him he doesn't hear word. If you give him instruction to do or he doesn't do his assignment on time in class or he's not paying attention, you see this knife, pluck out his eye. Anybody like that? Who would do that? Person will go to the insane asylum because he needs to be there, isn't it? Or go behind bars. No father chastens his child that way. This place doesn't say whom the Lord loveth, he make it sick. It says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now, how does God chasten us? And remember, he said chasten, that corrected us. He likened it to correcting. The truth is that the word chasten is the Greek word to child train, to educate. How does God train us as his children? Remember Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. How does God train us? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, correction, correction. Scripture is given for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The way God corrects us is with his word. God doesn't correct us with sickness. Remember that healing is a children's bread. Anybody who, you know, Maybe your child does something you don't want him to do. You say, your punishment is you won't eat this year. Anybody who does that? 
We don't do it. And Matthew 7, 11 says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask him? God does not use sickness to discipline us. He doesn't. How does he discipline us? With his word. You, I, we also notice that he said, he, so that we may be partakers of his holiness. Does sickness make people holy? Believe me, it doesn't. It makes them cantankerous. It makes them selfish. Yes, that's what sickness does to people. It makes, makes people grouchy. It doesn't make them holy. Yeah. God doesn't use sickness to chasten us. He doesn't. Somebody said, what about Job? You know, was it not God that made Job sick? No, it wasn't God. You know? Eh, but didn't God give the devil permission? Really, he didn't. The devil already had the permission, but he was so stupid he didn't even know it. Until God called his attention to it. How did, who gave the devil permission? Job did. Job 3.25, the thing I greatly feared is come upon me. That which I was afraid of has befallen me. Remember, Isaiah 54.14 says, In righteousness shall thou be established. That shall be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. Now, the parallel of that is that thou shalt be full of oppression if thou fears. And the guy said, The thing I greatly feared is come upon me. Now, when Job was sick, he was in bondage, Right? Because Job 42.10 says God turned Job's captivity. Isn't it? So when Job was sick, had the boils, everything crashed for him. You know, his wife said, curse God and die. His kids dead, everything, lost all he had. He was in captivity. Job 42.10 says God restored to him double. And check it, he had twice of everything he had before. Except he had only one wife. God had to make sure that was clear. Still had the same number of children. But he had double all his possessions. Now, you say, maybe I'm another Job. If you're another Job, then you're going to end up being the richest man around. Job was the richest man in the East. And besides, you see, all of Job's trouble lasted just about a one-year period. Nine to 14 months period. That's all it lasted. That's all it lasted. You see, the Bible says our light affliction is but for a moment. And it worked for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He doesn't say our, number one, he calls it light. Then he says it's but for a moment. He doesn't say our heavy affliction is for a lifetime. Amen. So even if you are another Job, just watch it. You're going to get so rich, you're going to get healed. Amen. The truth is, we have more light. You know, we have more light. Job spoke words without knowledge. God told him so. Yes. All that, God give it, God take it, blessed be the name of God. It's a lie. It was, it was God that gave. It was the devil that took. So God doesn't chasten us with sickness because he doesn't have it. Are we clear? Is that okay? So healing is always the will of God for us. Now, I'll get to the last part of the course which is the easy part, the easiest part, and perhaps the most important part. That's this. Okay, you've established that healing is God's will. You told me there could be some hindrances. I can see what those hindrances are, and I can get them out of the way. You know, sometimes we have questions, and we need to get those questions answered. Otherwise, we'll be wavering and not able to stay in faith. 
So we've examined some key things that could be questions that the devil uses to bring doubts to people's hearts and minds. Then we've looked at how healing can be appropriated. We said either by faith or by manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Now, the last part is this. You see, God's method of healing is spiritual and it can be lost. I want to talk about how to keep your healing and walk in health. How to keep your healing and walk in health. That's what I want to talk about now. How to keep your healing and walk in health. God's method of healing is spiritual and it can be lost. What do I mean by that? You see, if man heals, he will either do it through the physical senses, through the body, or you'll do it through the mind dominated by the physical senses. But when God heals, he heals man through his spirit. How do we know? You see, when Jesus came on the scene as healer, he demanded faith. Remember I said to the woman with the issue of blood, daughter, thy faith had made thee whole. Said to the two blind men, do you believe I'm able to do this? He said, yea, Lord. Then touched thee the eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. He said to blind Bartimaeus, thy faith had saved thee. He said to Jairus, fear not, only believe. So, again and again, he said to the man that brought his son, that the, the devil used to throw him in, in the fire and in the water. He said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. He said to the Syrophoenician woman, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that hour. He said to the nobleman, As thou hast believed, so be done unto thee. He said to the centurion, I have not seen so, great, so, so much faith, so great faith. No, not in Israel. So again and again and again, Jesus demanded faith when he came on the scene as healer. And remember that Romans 10, 10 says, For with the heart man believeth. So faith is of the heart. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. So it's with the heart that man believes. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. So faith is of the heart. Faith is of the spirit. When Jesus came on the scene as healer, he demanded faith. And faith is of the spirit. So that tells us something. That God's method of healing is spiritual. He heals us through our spirits. See, God is a spirit. Really, there's no such thing as what some people call spiritual healing. Some people call it inner healing, some thrash that doesn't really make sense. You know? Yes, sometimes when people have emotional wounds, they do. How do they get healed of those emotional wounds? By renewing their minds with the word of God. James 1, 21 and 22. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to sozo your souls, save your souls. That's heal your souls. 22 says, well, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So by receiving God's word, hurts, wounds in the emotional realm. That's how they get healed. And that's a process of us renewing our minds. But you see, real spiritual healing actually is divine healing. And what do we mean by that? God is a spirit God, who is a spirit being, healing man's physical body, but doing it through man's spirit. Is that clear? Amen. God's method of healing is spiritual. Now, there's, uh, there's some metaphysical cults, you know, that they, they talk a lot of thrash. They'll tell you things like, you know, God is a mind. 
The mind is God. You know, trash, just nonsense. One woman by the name Mary Eddie Baker. You know, Christian science nonsense. You know, one time Lillian B. Yeomans, before she got back in touch with God, when she was uh, addicted to dope and all that stuff, and she was, became skin, covered with uh, bone, covered with skin, was looking for help. She went to one of those places. Then they told her, they said, well, see, this pain that you're going through is not real. It's just in your mind. She listened to them. Then when it was time to charge, and they charged exorbitantly per hour. So after they had given her this so-called therapy, and it was time for her to pay, then she told them, so you see these dollars, it's not real. It's just in your mind. <laughs> yeah, so in your mind, see that I've paid you. You think you're smart? <laughs> I'm as smart too. That, that stuff is nonsense. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with that kind of stuff. Amen. If medical science heals, it will have to heal through the body. If Christian science can heal, you have to heal through the mind. The mind governed by the physical senses. And don't mess with Christian science. Please don't. But when God heals, he heals man through his spirit. And I've explained why that's so. So God's method of healing is spiritual and it can be lost. It can be lost. I had a conversation with a, a, a classmate many years back. He was telling me about uh, a crusade that happened, a healing crusade. And now someone he knew got healed in the meeting. And then some weeks after, the guy became sick again. So that my friend said, you see, it, those things are not real. I said, really? I said, why do you say it's not real? He said, because the guy lost it. If it was God, whatever God does is forever. If it was God, it would have been forever. Hmm. I looked at him. I felt like asking him, were you ever in fellowship with God? You know? And I did ask him. Yeah, so are you now in fellowship with God now? So it wasn't God that did it that time. Was, did God give Adam dominion? Did Adam lose it? You see, anything God does from God's standpoint, he intends for it to be forever. Whether it is forever or not forever, it's our decision. Revelation 2.25. Revelation 3.11. Both scriptures say the same thing. Hold that fast which thou hast. That which you have received, hold firm. Hold on to it. Now, why will God tell you to hold on to what you have received? Because you can lose it. Because you can lose it. There's an enemy arrayed against us. He's the devil. He will do his best to try to rob you of your healing. This is what happens. Sometimes people are healed through manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Or they are in a place where there's mass faith. Everybody believes in God. And then God's power is in manifestation. And then they are miraculously healed. And then after a while, they are on their own. And then what does the devil do? Remember Matthew 12, 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He goes back to bring seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And he finds a place empty, swept, and garnished. Goes to bring seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. See, that's a principle in the devil's kingdom. He never likes to lose ground. Any ground he loses, he tries to reclaim. Sickness is of the devil. After... You've gotten rid of the sickness. If you try to come back, that's just like the devil. Galatians 5.1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, 
and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, the particular context of that was talking about the law and the illegalism, but it's a general principle too. Remember Luke 13, 16 says, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years we lose from this bond on the Sabbath day. So sickness is also some bondage. It says stand firm, stand fast in the liberty, like she ought to be loosed. That's liberty. Wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So it's like the devil. He will try to steal it from you. He will try to put it back on you. He will try. So you may just as well settle it and be prepared for him. Are you listening? But the good news is this. He doesn't have to steal your healing. You can keep it. You can keep it. And this is what happens. Many times you camouflage the same symptoms. I'm thinking about a meeting I was in. Suddenly I had a word of knowledge about someone who's one of their ears, who wasn't working, was deaf completely. Well, a lady raised up her hand. She couldn't hear through one of her ears. In the name of Jesus, you know, just told the devil to take his hands off. She was healed. Could hear clear through it. A few weeks after, I was talking to the same lady, and this is what she said. He said she could hear clearly for a while. Then all of a sudden, one day, her hearing in that ear just shut down for some minutes. Then it came back up. Then it shut down again. Then it shut down. And then it stayed down. And then she was trying to tell me how she had lost it. Then I told her, I said, look, this is what happened. The devil tried to put it back on you. What should you have done when those symptoms came? Rather than just saying, well, I thought the Lord healed me. I guess he didn't. Well, this thing, it has come back again. You saying that is just you saying, devil, bring it on. I want you back. That's what you just did. So I explained to her, what are you to do when the symptoms return? Stand against them. Stand against them. I want to give us seven things, seven very important things. When it comes to maintaining your healing, how to keep your healing, and how to walk in health. Seven things we can do to keep our healing and walk in health. Number one, number one, get established in the word. Get established in the word. See, nobody can maintain a healing that he got through somebody else's faith if he doesn't get grounded in the word of God for himself. Get established in the word. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And their health. The word health is mape in the Hebrew. Which also means medicine. Preventive medicine, curative medicine to all their flesh. Amen. So get established in the word. Get grounded in the word. Psalm 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So get it settled in your heart. Get grounded in the word. Get grounded in the word. Matthew 7, 24 through to 27. Jesus said, Whoso heareth these things of man and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The floods came, the winds blew, they beat upon the house. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Whoso heareth these sayings of man and doeth them not, I will liken him unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon the house. It fell, and great was the fall thereof. 
He noticed that both houses face the same storms. So it's not the storms of life that defeat people. It's not recession that defeats people. It's not. People have become billionaires because of recession. So it's not recession. It's not sickness. It's not the devil. It's not that big. It's not the giants in the land that defeat people. They didn't live long enough to even see the giants that they were afraid of. Some other giants killed them. The giants of fear and doubt in their own hearts, on their own lips. You see that? So the first thing is to get established in the word. Feed constantly, like we were talking about yesterday, along the lines of faith and healing. Build God's word in that area into your spirit. You see, the memory of yesterday's food can't satisfy me today. It can't. If I'm going to be full today, I need to eat today. Faith does not come by having heard. It comes by hearing and hearing. Constantly, 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 constantly. You see, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things you have heard. Lest by any means they sleep. Actually, we sleep away from them. Get grounded in it. Constantly feed along these lines. See, that dude, he, he doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't. He's mean. He's ugly. He hates your guts. But you know what? He's not going to get any part of me. Because I walk in victory over him. And you can too. So get established in the word. Get grounded in the word. Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. Build God's word into your spirit. God's word specifically about healing. But also in totality. Walk in the light of God's word. You know one thing is this. Notice he did not say my words are on healing are held to all their flesh. He just said my words. All of his words. All of his words. So feed on the word of God. Build it into your spirit, particularly about healing, about faith, about subjects like that. You know, there are some things that if you don't know much about them, they may not affect the quality of your life. I'll give you an example. You don't have to know who the Antichrist is. Do you know that? For your information, I don't know who he is. And I don't very much care that I don't. Amen. I won't be here anyway. We will have gone before the great tribulation. Are you listening? But there are some other things that if you don't know them, they may cause you to go to heaven faster than you should have. One of them is this subject. So get established in the word. Build a rock solid foundation of the word of God into your spirit. You may just as well hold on with that bell. Praise God. Second one is this. Second, you want a party. Praise God. If you weren't having the party, we will have taken the breaks normally. And I want you to have the party too. Amen. It's good to have fun. It's been a year of learning. Amen. And we'll just wrap this up, minister to the sick, and we're good. And then it'll be fun time. Amen. Well, the second thing is this. Number one, I said, get established in the word. Build a foundation of God's word into your spirit. Amen. Get good books about faith, about healing. Read them constantly. Read them constantly. See, Brother Hagin had one Samsonite suitcase. When he went out in meetings, he would stuff it with books. He would carry those books. He wore them out. The, the Bible school he wanted to go that he couldn't go because he didn't have the money for it that time. All the books they used there he had. He read them. He wore them out. One particular book. A friend of his told him, he said, you know that book better than the man that wrote it. Yeah, he said, I've listened to the man that wrote it, teach the subject. I've listened to you teach the subject. You know his book better than he does. He studied constantly. 
He burned the midnight oil. Amen. We should study. God wants us to study. Get grounded in the word. Let's know what our rights and our privileges are. Amen. Let's understand the finished work of redemption. The fact that we're the righteousness of God. The fact that the devil is beneath our feet. Let's know these things. That our healing is consummated in Christ. Build these truths into your spirit. Feed on it. Feed on it constantly. 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 Amen. Second thing. Number two. Hold fast your confession of faith. Hold fast your confession of faith. Hold fast to it. See, Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. Proverbs 12.18, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words as a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. Philemon 6. That the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Revelations 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That speaks of our redemption. And by the word of their testimony, the word of God on their lips, affirming their redemption. Amen. Maintain your confession. Maintain your confession. This actually happened. Tell you a few stories. One time, Brother Hagin had this meeting in New York. In that meeting, there was a man who was born with one leg shorter than the other about six inches shorter than the other. And then that leg had only three and a half toes. One and a half toes were missing. And the leg was crippled. It was turned in. In the same meeting, there was a lady that had cancer. Well, he laid hands on both of them on the healing line. They got healed, both of them. Lady with the cancer, she was healed. The man that had one foot shorter than the other, one leg shorter than the other, it grew out instantly. And then the one and a half toes also grew out. He wore his first matching pair of shoes in that meeting. Six weeks after the meeting, the man said one Wednesday, he was going down the road, Main Street, New York. He said all of a sudden, the leg that had been healed, he said it suddenly just turned in. Like he was going to, he almost fell down. He just turned in. He said when he did, he pulled himself to the side of the road. And he said, devil, listen up. Six weeks ago, hands were laid on me. I got healed. Of this thing. You are not putting it back now. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. Leave my leg alone. He said, and leg straightened up. And he walked. He kept his healing. Now, he got to church that evening. The lady that had had cancer and was healed also, this is what she had to say. It was time to take prayer requests. And she said she had a prayer request. What was her prayer request? She said, well, you all know how six weeks ago, when Brother Higgin came to this church and had that meeting, how I got healed of the cancer. But now all the symptoms are back on me. I want you all to pray for me. You know, because all my symptoms are back. I want you all to pray for me. That other man said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Maybe I should tell you my story. He gave his own. Well, they went ahead and prayed for her. You see, agreeing to pray for her, they may just as well have contributed money to buy her coffin. There is a time not to turn in prayer requests. Are you listening to me? 
The meaning of pray for me, pray for me is, look, oh, it is back, it is back, it is back. Is that what she should have done? No. What should she have done? Come out that evening, told everybody, six weeks ago, you know, I got healed of cancer. And I don't mind telling you guys, I'm still healed today. Oh, glory to God. And gone back to sit down. Say, but, but won't that be a lie? No. She will have been calling the things that be not as though they were. She will have been holding fast our, her confession. But instead, she had a negative confession. She was talking the symptoms. And you know what happened? The symptoms came back and they killed her. Brother Hagen, he got healed, got off that deathbed. And then his doctor, Robeson, Dr. Robeson, saw him one day, told folks, said, that boy has the strongest willpower of anybody I've ever seen. I give him 90 days at the most to leave. He'll be dead. The lady teachers in school, there was one Miss Bessie May, you know, who taught one of his classes, I think European uh, languages or so. You know, some of those lady teachers, they got troubled. They called Mr. M.C. Smart, who was their principal. And they said, look, this young man, 89 pounds, 6 feet tall, <laughs> he could just kill over dead in class. We are concerned. Well, so he contacted the, the doctor. Doctor said the same thing. He could just drop dead in class. You know, then he called him to his office. He said, don't you think, I know education is important, but don't you think your health is more important? Do you have to come to school at all? He told the man, he said, look, I'm not up by willpower, I'm up by faith. My faith will hold. Then the man really actually said, I, I don't want to put anything in your way, but he went ahead to put something in his way. He said, if you ever feel like you're not up to it and you want to, uh, you can't attend the class because you're feeling weak, you have my permission, you can go home. Look, the man was making it easy for him to die. Yes. If he ever missed the class, he would have killed him. If he ever didn't show up, that would have been him acting contrary to what he believed. But this is what happened. The symptoms of the paralysis never came back. The symptoms of the blood disease never came back. But the symptoms of the heart trouble came back. They did. Within that 90-day period. He said he'll be walking down the road. A friend of his will see him, or somebody will say, Kenneth, Kenneth, does your heart give you any more trouble? You look like you can hardly put one foot in front of the other. Do you want me to uh, uh, get someone to take you home? And he'll say, well, really? My heart's giving me trouble. If you can get me home, I'll sure be glad. Then they'll take him home. And he'll have to go home and go and sleep and rest. And the symptoms kept worsening. And they kept worsening. And they kept worsening. Until the time came, he was spending more time in bed than out of bed. Then one day, and then the symptoms wouldn't let him sleep. Severe heart symptoms. One particular day, couldn't sleep, 4 a.m. in the morning because of the symptoms. Spending so much time in bed. Then he said, Lord, you don't miss it, but I must be missing it somewhere. What's happening? I'm going back to being bed fast again. These heart symptoms are, are, are returning. They're, they're back. And it's getting worse. What's going on? Then, you know, you know sometimes we're unconsciously led by the Holy Ghost. The Lord led him to reflect on what he did when he first got healed and what he had been doing since then. He remembered that he got healed when he began to say, based on Mark 11, 24, I believe that I receive healing for the heart condition. I believe I receive healing for the blood disease. I believe I receive healing for the paralysis. I believe I receive healing from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now he looked at what he had been saying since then. And then he discovered that rather than confessing his faith, he was confessing his symptoms. And the more he confessed the symptoms, the worse he got. Then he hit on an idea. He said, I know what I'm going to do. Rather than keeping to confess the symptoms 
Making a confession of sight, I will make a confession of faith. And what was interesting is this. When people will ask him, how do you feel? Does your heart give you any more trouble? Some words will rise up inside him. Words like Matthew 8, 17, himself took my infirmities and bent my sicknesses. Words like 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes I'm healed. He said he will almost have to bite his tongue to keep from saying them. And then he will talk doubt. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. The next time someone asks me, how do you feel? I'll, make, I'll speak those words come from my heart. I'll talk faith instead based on God's word. When he decided that, then he slept for the first time in a great while. Had a good sleep. Well, about the next day, he was going down the road, McKinney. Downtown McKinney. He had a friend, Eugene Black. He saw Eugene's mom, Mrs. Black. Mrs. Black saw him and said, Kenneth, Kenneth. Same old question. How are you feeling? Does your heart to give you any more trouble? You look like, a, like you can hardly put one foot in front of the other. He said he waited for just a moment. And from the inside of him, these words came up. When Jesus was here in the flesh, he said in Mark eleven twenty four. Things ever ye desire when ye pray. Believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. I prayed and I believe that I received my healing. So I'm well, thank you. That lady looked like they slapped her in the face with a wet dish rag. She said, well, let me, I, I could get Eugene to take you home in the car. He said, no, because I believe I receive, I'm going to walk. I'm fine. He said, the truth is this. Her eyes were not deceiving how. As he looked like he was about to fall, he felt like he was about to fall dead. He felt like if he took another step, he would die. But he knew he had to hold fast his confession, which he did. And you know, holding fast your confession is not just about saying something. Supposing he had said that, and Mrs. Black said, should I get the, someone to take you home in the car? I said, yes, 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 yes. No, you had given up your confession. It's not just about saying, you believe that what you say shall come to pass. You believe it in your heart. And if you really believe, you will act. He said... The interesting thing, he had about two miles, one and a half, two miles to, to walk to get home. He said the longer he walked, the stronger he got. He said by the time he got home, all the symptoms were gone. He felt like he could walk another two miles. And he never had to go back to bed again. He said that incident was a spiritual object lesson for him. That taught him the importance of confessing God's word in faith. So you see that. Number one, get established in the word. Number two, hold fast your confession. Let's do something now. I know you guys love the word, you know, but before I begin to let the word become an affliction, let's go to be back. Amen. This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins from my Bible Training Center, Nigeria.